Up World. Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is our latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag segment, answering listener submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week. Rain, sleet, or shine. There's two ways to get involved. You can either tweet at me at Mike G. Rich, just send me a tweet. Helps to tag it as mailbag or mention it's a follow-up tweet. Tell me it's part of the mailbag and it's not just a question you're asking on Twitter. You can send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it or watch the skies Monday mornings around 9 a.m. I send out a tweet soliciting questions. You respond to that tweet. I will get you in the show. If you're not a Twitter user or just someone who doesn't tweet, you can also email the show. The address is lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. One more time for you, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Mailbag Monday has officially gotten too big, y'all. So uh, all mailbag questions, when I get them in, I put them in a Word doc. I organize them as best I can so that that the show kind of makes sense for what's happening in the season and that uh, questions get answered sort of in a timely and thematical fashion. But then there's a special delivery episode later in the week because Mailbag Monday cannot contain all of your wonderful questions. I want to make sure everyone gets to participate. So... I've just created two mailbag shows. So what that means is, if you do not hear your question on this episode, Mailbag Monday, which I record on Monday evenings and post on Tuesdays, look for it in the special delivery episode that will post later in the week. This week, that episode is going to be in your feed on Wednesday morning. So it'll be after the Denver Nuggets game on Tuesday night. I'll record a second mailbag show. So if you don't hear your, don't fret if you don't hear your question in this one, it's still coming. So that's how it works. There's your preamble for today's mailbag episode. Let's get into it. First question comes from Tom, who asks, When CJ returns, assuming Gary Trent Jr. is still playing at his current torrid pace, would it make sense to start him at the three, with Derek Jones Jr. coming off the bench and with Hood at the two? And if so, what are the chances? Seems like he's earned a starting spot, no? Tom, you and many, many others asked about Gary Trent Jr. Uh, Regular listeners will know that last week's show led off with Gary Trent Jr. talk. We talked a lot about Gary Trent Jr., did about 15 minutes on Gary Trent Jr. Guess what? People are still curious about your boy Gary. In fact, Alex asks, Gary Trent has clearly established himself as a legitimate starter in this league, so I am curious what will happen to him once CJ is back. Do you see him in the starting lineup still and then and them going with a three-guard lineup, or do you see them going with Gary Trent off the bench and then probably closing games? So yeah, this seems to be the question. Like, has Gary Trent sort of jumped uh, ahead of C.J. McCollum in the in this in the pecking order, or does he has he forced Terry Stotts' hand to sort of reconfigure the starting lineup? And my answer is both: no, he hasn't, and no, no, Terry Stotts won't. Um, Terry's going to roll with Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington. Uh, I think you just you really just need the length on the perimeter. Uh, the problem with Gary Trent Jr. is not that he isn't he isn't good. He is good. He's just not an ideal fit playing alongside the Blazers' two best players. He's better guarding. He's a guard, right? He's better guarding ones and twos. And if you play him next to Damon CJ, he has to guard threes and fours. So putting him in the starting lineup, um, it changes the calculation. Also, if you saw like the Blazers, I'm I'm recording this after the Blazers got shellacked by the Suns. But in that game, uh, the Blazers tried to put Derek Jones or uh, 
Yes, Derek Jones Jr. on Chris Paul because they wanted length on the ball. If you don't have his length in the game, you're putting Derek Jones, you're putting Gary Trent on the ball. You're using, you're sacrificing some of your length for just some sort of bulldog hustleness. Um, Gary Trent Jr. is a competitive defender, but he's not nearly as good a defensive player as as Derek Jones Jr. He's just not, not, he's not that. So, I think for a variety of reasons, I think, I think that. Gary Trent Jr. is a starting quality guard in the league, and I think he deserves a ton of minutes, but I don't think he's he's not better than CJ, more on that in a second. And he doesn't he doesn't fit the needs that that playing Damian Lord and CJ McCollum necessitate. If you have those two little guards starting another guy who's, you know, 6'4", 6'5", is not exactly the solution. Now, I'd love to see a lot of minutes with Gary Trent Jr. playing next to Damon C.J. to see what that looks like. But um, I don't think it's, I just don't think it's a a long-term viable thing against every single opponent. I think it could be matchup specific or against uh, bench units, you kind of mix and match and figure out when, when to go against it. More on Gary Trent Jr., though, because everyone's asking about it. Ben! sends over a long note that says, there's been a lot of talk about GTJ's emergence and how it's rendered big CJ expendable. And let's just call him CJ. We'll call the other person CJ Ellaby. But for now, um, CJ Ellaby is going to have a double name designation and the single name is going to belong to CJ McCollum. Has rendered CJ expendable. While GTJ has been critical to our success over the course of CJ's absence, let us consider some box score advanced stats. These are a little bit dated, so don't come after Ben. He sent me this email about four days ago. Per 36 numbers, CJ 28.4, Gary Trent Jr. 18.3. Rebound, CJ 4.2, Gary Trent Jr. 2.5. Assist, CJ 5.3, Gary Trent Jr. 1.7. Win shares, y'all don't care about win shares, but CJ 2.30 and Gary Trent Jr. 0.84. Obviously, Gary's numbers are affected by the time when he was playing behind CJ, but as a starter, Gary Trent Jr. is averaging 19.9 points, 2.6 rebounds, and 1.7 assists in 36.3 minutes. CJ was off to a historic start, and 2.30 win shares has to be one of the best in team history. Update, it is! Third best all-time behind uh, Terry Porter in 1990-91 and Arvidas Simonis in 95-96. Conclusion, Gary Trent Jr. is very good and CJ is not expendable. Critical to Gary Trent Jr.'s future with the team is to see how he fits alongside Damon CJ once CJ is back healthy. I hope the team has the foresight to conduct this test because we don't want to be playing, paying him $20 million a year or whatever to come off the bench. So yeah, I think, I think this sort of, this gets at, um, my sort of core thing with Gary Trent Jr. He's really good. Like he's, he's really good. He struggled a little bit in the last couple of games, but I'm not going to get caught up in, in those two recent games. I'm, 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 capable of of remembering past performances and also just sort of my perception of him over the last year. He's he's a he's a dude who who could start in a lot, for a lot of teams in the league, but he's not a perfect fit starting on this team and he's not as good as CJ McCollum and it's not particularly close. The most valuable skill in the NBA is shot creation. Gary Trent Jr can create two types of shots. He can create a step back from 3 and a step back from the mid-range. He has no ability to get to the rim. Uh, you saw over the last couple games, his he's a straight line driver. So when that is when it's open, Gary can attack. He's strong. He can finish. But if it's not, he drives into someone's chest. He takes a crazy shot. He doesn't. He just doesn't have a lot of wiggle and a lot of creativity in the in the in between areas. 
On pick and rolls, he can sidestep into a little mid-range, and he is an absolutely elite shooter from deep, an elite skill. And that ability to, to shoot a little bit off the dribble is incredibly valuable. But the creativity to score in between and score at all three levels is not there for Gary Trent Jr. yet. And he is not a good enough defender to offset uh, CJ's massive, massive um the sort of gap between his skills on offense, right? In fact, some of the advanced defensive metrics suggest that CJ McCollum and Gary Trent Jr. are comparable defenders. That doesn't exactly meet the eye test, I, I would say, but um, it suggests that maybe there are, um, that maybe Gary Trent's hustle stuff blinds us occasionally to just sort of being a solid defensive player. That said, I would pay Gary Trent Jr. a whole bunch of money to come off the bench because it's hard to me it's hard for me to imagine a situation where the Blazers can would let him walk in the offseason and be able to replace him, be able to replace his production um or anything close to it. It just seems like that seems like an unlikely scenario. So I'm willing to pay Gary Trent Jr. to be a backup. And I'm willing to really hope that at the end of this year, when CJ's healthy, we get a lot of minutes of Dame, CJ, and Gary to figure it out. But the idea that Gary is better than CJ McCollum or makes CJ McCollum expendable is, is only true in a really specific way. If you can trade CJ McCollum for an elite two-way creator, if like a Paul George or Kawhi Leonard is available, somebody who's six eight and who can guard threes and fours and create their own offense. That's the only reason where I where I would see CJ being expendable to um, to play Gary at the two. A lot of teams in the league are looking for a versatile two-way forward. It's the most valuable position in the sport. So there's just a lot of, there are a lot of layers, a lot of nuance, and a lot of complications to Gary Trent's present and future with the Blazers. I like him. I think he's good. I think he could start. I don't think he can start on this team considering who their two best players are. And I think if you choose him over CJ, you need a really specific return and the hardest return to possibly find in the league. Gary Trent's good at what he's good at. He can really, really shoot it, but he's not much. He doesn't do much else in the box score and he's not an elite enough defender to offset that right now. I'm a fan of his game. I, I like I, I enjoy watching him. I like um, I like his just sort of swagger demeanor off the court. Um, like I said, I, I hope the Blazers give him four years, seventy five million dollars, and he comes back and you know get to run it back for a couple more seasons and get to watch him. But he is he is neither better than CJ nor nor does he make him expendable. And his future with the team is has several complications due to the existing players already on the roster. No one no one plays basketball in a vacuum. They play on a roster with other parts. It is not NBA 2K. You don't have an overall rating. You have a fit with your coworkers. And his fit with his with the coworkers, due to no fault of his own, is a little bit strange. That's just the truth. The Blazers' task is to figure out how to make that strangeness work because he's talented enough for them to make it work, but it's not so simple as, well, he's your starting two guard and it's and it's obvious. Very few things in life are so simple, and Gary Trent Jr.'s position on this team is is no exception. It's it's it is not that simple. All right, let's come back and talk about other players other than Gary Trent Jr. We've let off the back-to-back mailbag Mondays with lots of Gary Trent Jr. talk, but that is the nature of the beast. Y'all want to know about him, so let's talk about him. Y'all want to discuss him? We're giving him 15 minutes on Gary. But we'll uh, we'll move on to other topics in the second and third segments. But before we get there, let's talk about rockauto.com. 
Y'all know rockauto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com right now to shop for all your auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. You can find everything you need from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks, all of it delivered directly to your door. And the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your, for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specifications, and the prices that you prefer. And the prices are the best part because at rockauto.com, they're always reliably low. And they're the same for professionals as they are for the do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? You don't have to do that. Instead, you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way, they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. All right. Let's keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. But first, let me give you a little tip. You can get more of the sports news you need in less time with the new podcast Locked On Today. It's part of this very network. Peter Bukowski hosts a breakdown of the biggest stories with analysis analysis from our local experts. You can start your day with all the sports news you need. It's under 20 minutes every episode. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you already get podcasts. All right, now let's really keep it rolling with Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Joseph, who asks, How is this winning streak and Dame Magic changing the MVP conversation? Clearly, I'm biased. And Joker, that's Nikola Jokic, is amazing. But come the F on, dude. If you have an equivalent record at voting time, they need to give him the hardware. Would Denver? What would Denver's record be without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr.? Dame is doing this without CJ and Nurk. If they didn't have Dame, they would be in 14th thoughts also shout out to lebron because he's old as shit and and is still amazing yeah so uh let's just let me just say this uh damian lillard is in the mvp conversation and it's also february so the thing they'll give this award out when the regular season ends actually they'll give it out after the playoffs in the summer and it's incredibly stupid but the it's a regular season award and we're not even halfway through the regular season right now dame would probably be third or fourth on my mvp ballot um uh, i would probably go lebron 1 joel mb 2 and then dame 3 followed by kawhi leonard and and kawhi's close um dame just he's He's been awesome. He's put the Blazers in a position where he deserves to be part of the conversation. The other guys who would be, you know, under consideration, like the Luka Doncic's and the and the Nikola Jokic's. I mean, they've Nikola Jokic is balling. He's incredible, a singular force. But Denver's struggling a little bit, and there's all there's always a a um, a team factor. Win losses matter in MVPs. Uh, it's people like to say it's it's narrative based and whatever it is and it certainly is narrative based but one of the best ways to change the narrative is to win a whole boatload of games so um dame belongs there now and is there now and i think very earnestly if you're talking about mvps and you're not mentioning damian lord you you aren't talking about mvps you're not talking about the most valuable players in the league he's one of them but they're going to give this award out in two and a half months it doesn't matter what's happening in february um 
he's been really good and put himself deservedly in the category. But uh, if you know if the Lakers win the West, it, LeBron's probably going to win it. If the if Philly wins the East, Joel Embiid's probably going to finish first or second. Uh, it's just it, that's the nature of it. I'm not taking any way anything away from Dame saying that he's you know third or fourth in the MVP race. He's a fantastic player. He's he's just been so so damn good, and he's kept the Blazers despite these last two games, which have been ugly bad losses, and he played really poorly against the Suns. Uh, but despite those two games, that, that doesn't really change my opinion. He's been he's been really good and deserves to be in the conversation, and he is in the conversation, quite frankly. Next question comes from CJ Ellaby's burner at Justin P one 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 who asks, "What do you make of Rodney Hood's stat line this year? Four point eight points per game, one point seven rebounds, one point two assists, thirty five percent field goal percentage, twenty eight percent from three. Is he a fit with this roster? Should the Blazers part ways? I find myself consistently frustrated when he's on the court. Yeah, I mean Rodney Hood has not been good this year. He did play pretty well." Uh, on Monday evening against before the game got totally out of hand, he had a really nice first half against Phoenix. He finished that game with uh, nine points and two boards in 20 minutes off the bench, four of six from the floor, hit one of his two threes. He looked pretty good. But I think in general, Roddy Hood's been bad. And if I had to pick um, who to sort of, when CJ comes back, who to shrink their minutes, it would be Rodney for sure. But C.J. Ellaby's burner, you're not the only one asking about Rodney Hood. In fact, many, many did. That's what we're going to talk about here in the second segment. Jesse asks, what do you think of Rodney Hood running some point when needed? I think this team could be dangerous come playoff time. I think defense is an issue, but the best defense is having almost every player on the roster capable of going off for 30 on any given night. Uh, yeah, no, I think the best defense is playing good defense. I'm not sure about the scoring thing. I mean, maybe the the Brooklyn Nets are going to turn that on its head, but I'm pretty sure the best defense is being a little bit, showing more resistance than the Blazers are currently capable of. But more to your point, Rodney as playmaker or Rodney as point guard, I probably wouldn't use the word point guard, but that's just a semantics thing on my end. Uh, I like the idea of it um, because the Blazers just could use more guys who could create. Um, for others, not for themselves, but create for the, for, uh, you know, put the defense in, in, start the blender, so to speak, you know, put defense in rotations by, by making a good pass or, or, or being someone off the dribble and then making a nice pass. Um, they, they could use more guys who could do that. And Rodney is, is for their current team capable of it. But, uh, for me, he just doesn't have enough verve to kind of, to use a Quinn Snyder term to, uh, to really break down defenses like he can get to his own shots in the mid range. And he's, if he's patient and he gets a really thick screen, he can, he can make it happen. But, um, he just, he just doesn't have the juice right now to, to really do it. So I like that. Like it's, it's better than just like throw the ball into the post to Carmelo Anthony and pray to God that he passes back out. But, um, to me, Rod, that's not a solution. I'm more towards CJ Ellaby's burner account that's worrying that maybe Rodney Hood is bad. And I, I kind of think he is right now. I kind of think he's bad. Um, and, and just playing him less seems to be a solution. But um, again, others are still asking about Rodney Hood, like Thomas Cogswell at Thomas Cogswell on Twitter, who asks, do you think this team will target a defensive minded player at the deadline, possibly move Hood since he's an unrestricted free agent? Thomas. My friend Jeffrey V, listener Jeff, Jeffrey V, has a solution for you. Who says no to this trade? Rodney Hood 
and a protected second round pick for PJ Tucker. It works after March 2nd when Hood can be traded. It would take $3 million off our books, potentially opening us up as a buyout option with our open roster spot. This would keep the backup guard bench available for Gary and would add another positive defender to the bench. So if the Blazers are in the buyout market, it's just going to be for a minimum contract. I don't think the extra millions would help. I mean, maybe they will if you're really... Uh, working for someone's services, but I, I kind of think like if guys get bought out, they're going to sign for the minimum anyways. Um, so it won't, it won't matter. Uh, so this trade works and it keeps, I, I, my worry here was that it was going to push Houston over the uh, luxury tax. Cause the key thing for Houston is to stay out of luxury tax. Shout out to Tillman Fertitta, um, billionaire buyer and noted cheap idiot. Um, yeah, I would probably pull the trigger on this trade. P.J. Tucker looks bad. I don't know if y'all have been seeing when watching the Rockets lately, but he looks terrible. Uh, maybe a change of scenery would help. Maybe he's just aged and he just is is um, not a contributor anymore. But he just looks looks washed. And I love P.J. Tucker, one of my favorite players in the league. So um, it brings me no joy to tell you that 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 t- tank of a man who's fueled by pancakes uh, is is struggling, but he doesn't look good. Um, the protected second round pick, I'm throwing that language out there. You're giving up a, a second round pick. You're not protecting shit. Um, so Hood in a second round pick for P.J. Tucker, I think it's close. Um, you'd have to remember that the Blazers have to trade a, a second round pick fairly far down the line because they've given up two second round picks at back-to-back deadlines in a deals for Rodney Hood and Trevor Ariza. So... I don't know if this is the best trade Houston could get, but I think it is in the direction that they would want to go. Stay cheap, don't get any long-term money, and get a small draft asset asset in exchange for P.J. Tucker. It would be an upgrade. Uh, it allows the Blazers to go like even more earnestly small with P.J. and Rocco in the second unit, um, like playing together. Uh, they wouldn't necessarily need to do that if Nurk is healthy, but I, I like it. I like it as an idea, just in general. Okay, next question comes from Sir Wheezy, who asks, originally I like the idea of Mello playing the five. It's at Wheezy Sir on Twitter, sorry. Originally I like the idea of Mello playing the five in a small ball lineup where he can attack smaller players. However, as as seen in the Wizards game, if the other team stays big, going with Mello didn't work. Would, would a younger, faster lineup, maybe with Nas, make more sense in that situation? Basically, if we we're forced to go small because of lack of health, healthy bigs on the roster, is it better to just lean in and go young faster and push the pace? Yeah, um, the Blazers aren't going to just like magically push the pace, though, by subbing in Nazir for Car- Carmelo Anthony. I, I see what you're saying. Um, Carmelo has... A, as a five, like I, I kind of think he's playing the four in those, in those lineups, but that's also a semantic argument. I would argue Rocco's always playing center with that group. Um, yeah, I like, I think you could make a case for Nas taking Rodney Hood's minutes. It is. I'm, I'm not quite there with him taking Mello's minutes when Mello is bad. He's like super terrible. Like he's just so bad and it's really frustrating, but um, Nas is just like, doesn't have a ton of individual offense and is not as sort of, um, he can't bully guys like M- Mello for me has, is, is not like taking on him playing small ball five is less valuable than him. Just like bullying smaller fours in traditional lineups. So, um, 
yeah, I, like I'm not opposed to this. I just don't think this is like a, I don't think this is necessarily like the obvious, an obvious winning solution. I think it may be worth it. Like give it a try. Why not? Sure. Um, roll it out for a game. Say, hey, pull Mello and, and, and put Nas in there. But the, I, I don't watch Nas and think that he's this game game changer. I think he's a real a really interesting energy guy and can help, but uh, I'd rather play him on the wing with next to Damon CJ and have him play with good players and see if as a complementary part he can be better than have him be like a sort of like the thing that unlocks an unorthodox small ball lineup. Worth a shot though. Just um, I'm just maybe not a big believer yet. Next question comes from Rip City Bang Bang at Justin underscore B underscore Leak on Twitter, who asks, to boogie or not to boogie? That is the question. So DeMarcus Cousins reportedly is going to part ways with the Houston Rockets. They're going to try to trade him or release him. They want to go smaller um, and they have better, better. Basically, they just it's not working out in Houston and they want to part ways with him. So there's some speculation that he is going to be, he, he was still on the roster as of today, as I'm recording this speculation is going to be bought out or traded. Um, to me, Boogie Cousins, if, if the, it depends on what question you're asking about DeMarcus Cousins. If the question is, is Boogie better than Harry Giles? Yes. Yes, he is. Is he, is he more productive? Is he a better player than Harry Giles? Absolutely. Will DeMarcus Cousins help the Blazers become a better defensive team? no, Will DeMarcus Cousins help the Blazers win in the playoffs? No. So while he can help right now, like if he's on the roster, he'd be really helpful right now. Uh, would have been another body to throw DeAndre Ayton against the Suns. Wouldn't have mattered because the Suns just beat the snot out of the Blazers. But um, yeah, like I, he, he would be an upgrade over Harry Giles. He would help a little bit, but... You can't play him next to Nurk. You can't play him next to Cantor. So he's a third center on the roster. Um, and when when you're fully healthy, he's he's not a defensive upgrade over Cantor. Um, he's certainly not even close to defensive upgrade with, over Nurk, right? So uh, it's like, is he a better offensive player than Cantor? No, not close. He just, when fully whole, he doesn't seem to answer the questions. But currently, right now, with the health situation as it is, yes, like... Boogie would help tonight and tomorrow against uh, Nikola Jokic, like especially, and Friday against Marcus Gasol and 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 the Los Angeles Lakers. But like, would he help? Would he help in three weeks when after the All Star break when Nurk's back? And I, I kind of think no. Um, I I'm 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 just not in on it. If you are cool, me I'm not there. All right, let's come back in the third segment. Close out the show with more of your questions. But before we do that, I want to tell y'all about bet online you know bet online it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action nba games every night college basketball just weeks two weeks left in the regular season before we hit the conference tournament the ncaa tournament nhl is 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 rolling along and if you don't want to bet on sports there's awards tv shows reality tv you name it, they got it on betonline.ag. That includes real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Also, news, scores, everything. I'm telling you, betonline.ag is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head on over to the website. One more time, that's betonline.ag. And use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. The promo code is locked on. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. It's 
Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond, and you're still listening to Locked On Blazers. February is Black History Month, and the Locked On Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Locked On Presents More Than the Game. Right now, you can hear Candace Cooper, host of Locked On Tar Heels, and Erica Ayala, host of Locked On Women's Basketball, discuss the opportunities and challenges that come with being a black woman in sports. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On Presents, the podcast feed on the radio.com app, or wherever you already get podcasts. Let's, Let's close out the show with more of your questions. How's that sound? This next one comes from RW who asks, the Blazers' renewed sense of urgency seems to be guys having a predictability with their minutes and role along with the availability of shots. Do you agree? Dame alluded to it a bit in his interview. Let's not forget that despite CJ's great efficiency, this team was average at best prior to his injury and had been playing like a 50-plus win team in a normal season since he's been out. Thoughts? Yeah, um, the team was kind of playing like crap when when they were healthy, which is really funny because now it's like they've won, you know, they're 10 and 7 since CJ got hurt. Uh, and it's like they've they they have looked they've been more effective. Um, but it, it's a talent league. I'm willing to bet that uh, having CJ back will be helpful. Um, so obviously this question was sent in before the Blazers uh, lost to the Suns tonight. This is just sort of the quirk of, of mail, doing recording mailbags on game nights. Um and in general, they, you know, they'd won six games and then a, a bad, ugly loss against um, Washington. And then they just got walloped against Phoenix. So I think RW might have rephrased this question a little bit. But I, I do think it gets at something that's just like fundamental in the way the NBA works. Guys play better when they know what they're going to do. But I, I think more than this is like defined role for Anthony Simons and defined minutes and more shots for Gary Trent Jr. I think this is just the comfort uh, that Derek Jones Jr. and Rocco have found. I think those guys during this Blazers stretch of the last um, handful of games when they've just been they've been better prior to these last two, uh, and even against Washington, those guys played okay. Those guys were were not the problem. They played pretty well. Um, it's I think those guys have settled in to find to to what their roles are, to what they're supposed to do on defense, and what they need like. It's not just like the scheme that that Terry's running, right? There's not just them getting comfort with the scheme. It's within the rules of the scheme, them getting comfort with who they have to cover up for, who's going to need help, how they're going to need help, what what other guys are comfortable with, who's going to rotate there. Can you it's 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 all little subtle nuances of of trusting your new teammates within the scheme more so than it is just sort of like, here's what Terry wants to do and can we execute it? So I, I think more than defined roles for the young guys, it's been just comfort within playing more games from Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. But certainly there's there's something to it is that um, a defined role for guys each night, knowing that you're going to play and when you're going to play helps. I think that's I think that's undeniable. But I don't think that's like the major the major turning point. Next question comes from Belgian Blazer at Belgian underscore Blazer who asks, the Timberwolves made a head coaching change and Damian Lord voiced his disappointment on Twitter because the T-Wolves didn't hire David, didn't give David Vanderpool a chance as head coach. If the Blazers decide to make a head coaching change later this year, would you agree that DV would not only be a top candidate, would be the top candidate for the job? So yeah, some context here. The Minnesota Timberwolves fired head coach, uh, Ryan Saunders, associate head coach and former Blazers assistant David Vanderpool was passed up for the job. 
Um, because th- there was very clearly the T-Wolves already had their man picked out and they were just waiting for a chance to fire Ryan Saunders and hire Chris Finch away from the Raptors. Uh, it's very, very uncommon for a team to hire a coach off another staff midseason. It hasn't happened since 2009 when the Memphis Grizzlies didn't even then. Lionel Hollins had been an a interim coach with the Grizzlies two other times prior to the hiring them, so he had a history with the franchise. This is... Um, not that this is a GM hiring his guy, um, and hiring his guy who's white over choosing an, a, a, a associate head coach who's on the staff, the obvious interim choice, who is also a black man. Uh, it's a problem that the league has just not with, not necessarily that Chris Finch is a bad coach. He's probably a really good coach, right? Like he's a name that's sort of floated out there as, as a guy who, who, who will get a head coaching opportunity, but that, that the process excludes black guys just in general, that the, the sort of good old boys network and the who knows who and who's friends with who network is, is in a league run by white executives who hire white coaches. Those white executives continue to hire white coaches. It's how it works. I understand Gershon Rosas is not a white, co- white executive, but he's part, part of the network and part of the sort of longstanding thing. And shit, even if he isn't part of the, the, the sort of traditions of, uh, white guys in charge of NBA teams hiring white guys. He just did the damn thing. So he's part of it now. So I say all that to provide context. Also to sort of, um, I think it's an important thing to discuss and I want to, I want to say my piece about it. Um, so it's part of the reason that I want to provide that context is because I, I don't think you can in good conscience say that it is likely any NBA team hires a, black head coach without prior head coaching experience. There's nothing about the pattern of hiring coaches in the league that would suggest that is likely to happen. Two, if I had to pick David Vanderpool or the field, give me the field. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily a top candidate. He left Minnesota to um, go get more money. If the Blazers had really wanted him and saw him as a future of the franchise and someone that they wanted to link to Dame and have sort of be the bridge to whatever's next, they would have kept him. Additionally, I think if they fire Terry Stotts this offseason, they will, DV will be under consideration. I would assume he'll get an interview. Um, Maybe not guaranteed, but I would assume he gets an interview because Dame will have a say in whoever the next head coach is. But I think there would be a chance that the person that they hire for the next head coaching job, if that were to come up, would be not someone who is Dame's guy, but someone who specifically isn't Dame's guy, right? Because isn't the problem with Terry Stotts not so that he's like this like totally overmatched um like strategist, but more that the guys maybe don't always that that they need the guys don't always listen to what he's saying, and that uh, the the sort of challenge would be a new set of fresh eyes to look at the situation. And hiring someone who was who coached under him and is really familiar with Dame might not give you the fresh eyes that you need. Now that might be, not be a philosophy that the Blazers front office or the Blazers ownership shares, but it's one that I would think would be under consideration. So. I think DV would be a top is I think DV is more of a top candidate than the top candidate. In fact, like I said, I would pick give me the field over David Vanderpool for the Blazers next head coach. Uh, I I think for a variety of reasons that isn't likely to happen. But he deserved a shot in Minnesota. He deserved a chance to coach this crappy team 
till the end of the season. And if they were worried about getting in a bidding war to hire the right head coach, screw them. Get in the bidding war. If you want your if you want your coach at the end of the season, pay to have him. Let the let the MF free market decide. That's the MFFM for y'all at, uh, who like letters at home. I, Dave Vinterpool deserved a shot. What they did to him was wrong. It's a, it's just it's not a good way to run a franchise. Um, it's not a good look for the Minnesota Timberwolves. It might end up being the right hire, but it's impossible for it to be the right process. So I got more questions in this word doc. And what we're going to do is we're going to push them to tomorrow night in the special delivery mailbag episode that I will record after the Blazers play the Denver Nuggets. Uh, they played Phoenix tonight, a second game of a back-to-back in Denver. Not an easy one, but should be an interesting one. Another Western Conference playoff team or playoff caliber team the Blazers will be up against uh, on this on this road trip that concludes Friday against Los Angeles Lakers. So if you didn't hear your question in this one, f- do not fret. It is in it is in the Word doc, and I will answer it tomorrow in the special delivery edition of our mailbag shows. If you want to get involved in a future mailbag episode, you can tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Those are the two ways to get involved. We do this every week with multiple mailbag shows, two mailbag shows every week. They're a ton of fun. I enjoy doing them. I hope you enjoy listening to them. I'd love to have you participate, whether that's sending in questions or just listening intently. I appreciate it either way. The other thing I would appreciate is if you tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. It'll be there waiting for you. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.